Well, the title of today's message is, again, that's again with a question mark. Yes, again, again. Well, I have a little confession to make here. I love post-it notes. I love them. I need them. Grab this from my desk this morning. Shorts, sandals, toiletries. That's my packing list, okay? I'm leaving Nicaragua after this sermon, okay, to join the team. I don't just love post-it notes. I mean, they really ought to be yellow. I mean, I, I love yellow post-it notes. It seems like they come in the multicolored pack. I, I don't care for the other colors. I want yellow. I'm old school, okay? When it comes to reminders, I want a post-it note. Doesn't mean I don't have a tablet or a smartphone. I do, and I know they have apps to help you. But when it comes to reminders, there's quite nothing like post-it notes. Is there anyone else here who likes post-it notes? Loves them still? Yeah. There's something reassuring about them. I don't know. I just grew up with them, okay? Well, I, you know, I have them on my desk. I have, them, I have them in books. I put them in books. They're all over the place. It's like a bookmark for me, you know? Have them on my computer screen as well to remind me. Whatever you use to remind yourself, maybe it's post-it notes, maybe it's an alarm on your phone, maybe it's some smartphone app that you have. It's kind of a love-hate relationship, isn't it? I mean, on one hand, I think you probably appreciate a timely reminder, don't you? I mean, at least, you know, most of us are, are humble enough to admit we forget, don't we? We forget things. Even when we have the best intention, we can be forgetful. So we appreciate them. But there's also something, well, a little deeply disturbing about reminders. Because, well, they remind us of something. That we are often fickle. That we often forget. That we can often get off track and do it pretty easily and quickly. That we can sometimes even get stuck in our faith, and we just can't quite seem to see the way forward in a particular situation. It's humbling. It's humbling being human, isn't it? Well, if you were with us last week in our sermon series in Second Peter, you would recall that Peter called this being stuck as being ineffective or unfruitful in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Having knowledge of Christ, but not growing in one's professed faith, or at least demonstrating much evidence thereof. See, friends, if we need reminders to take out the garbage, if we need reminders to call a person, if we need reminders of what to pack, don't you think we need reminders when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Christ. Or in the words of Peter, the Apostle Peter from last week, reminders that we have been cleansed from our former sins. But here's the rub. When it comes to our spirituality, we don't easily gravitate toward reminders, do we? I mean, you, know, you come to a Sunday service like this, you, know, you, you pick up and buy that new book, you seek out a counselor. You know what our, our heart wants? What, you know what our heart craves? We want something new. We want something different. We may not say it this way, but this is what we're thinking. Give me the silver bullet. 
Give me that secret key or ingredient to make me happy. Give me that newly discovered truth. And even if what you want is not false doctrine, we just want to be told something we don't already know. So you come to a service like this or a class. You know, you hear it go, I've heard that before. It's code word for boring. Been there, done that, heard that. Tell me something new. I've already heard that. I've been taught that. Well, as we read 2 Peter, we discover there were false teachers who were quite willing to share something new to the church. Some previously undisclosed prophecy, that which had not been properly understood until now. Some reinterpretation of the text to justify their sinful cravings and to give the people what their ears itched to hear. But in our text today, by way of contrast, we have the apostle Peter. Death is imminent. Churches and Christians are suffering. Presumably, even Peter himself, who may have been under arrest at this time, And here we have in 2 Peter, some of Peter's final words, his swan song, his last will and testament. And what does Peter say? Nothing new at all. In fact, he's clear. He's not even embarrassed by it. His intention in writing his final letter is to say nothing new. That which his listeners presumably did not already know. So what Peter's doing in this letter we're about to read, he's breaking out the post-it note scroll, okay? They've been around for a long time. And he's going to say it again and again. All that preached last, all that Al preached last week, if you were here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 11, you know what? It was one big post-it note. One big post-it note. A reminder and return to what his listeners already knew. Peter, that the best you can do? Repeat what's already been taught? Church, the point is this. And this is what we're driving at this morning. Peter repeating himself is the very best thing Peter could have done. For you and for me. For the aged Peter knew, and here's our main thrust this morning, we'll put it on the overhead. He knew this well. Finishing well requires returning to the things that we have already learned. It's true. I'll repeat it. Finishing well requires returning to the things we have already learned. May we as a church learn this lesson well. And may we as a church be committed to rehearsing and to reminding each other of that which we have already learned and must know about the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. With that in mind, let us pray and then we'll read our text for this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I ask this morning that you would once again, by your spirit, as you so faithfully do, use your preserved word, that you would illumine Christ and the gospel to us. And Lord, that yes, you would remind us of eternal truths 
Strengthen our faith, O Lord. And may we be a people who do not despise hearing the great news of the gospel again and again, we pray. Amen. We're going to read our text, and we're going to start where Al started last week. We're going to read verses 3 through 11, and then I'm going to add on our text for this morning, verses 12 through 15. But I want you to hear it in its full context, okay? Because they go together. Starting with verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, picking up at verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Do you see a church three times in verses 12 to 15? Peter states his intent for writing. Do you see it? Verse 12, remind you. Verse 13, by way of reminder. Verse 15, at any time to recall. Peter is convinced, point one in your overhead, that his listeners, including you and me, need to be reminded of what we already know. Point one, verses 12 through 14. But here's the question. Why do we need to be reminded? We already talked about it already. It's already, already established back in verse nine that we forget, right? Okay, we need to remind because we forget. But notice in our text today that Peter adds at least two more reasons why we need to be reminded. A, to be strengthened in our faith. Therefore, I intend always, verse 12, to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established, that word could be also interpreted, translated, strengthened in the truth that you have. Now, some commentators regarding this verse 12 suggest that Peter's really kind of being polite here. You know, it's like, he knows his readers probably weren't too established in the truth that he's been talking about, but he doesn't want to offend them, all right? 
Or perhaps he's just hoping that his readers or is assuming they are well-established in the truth that he is bringing. Personally, as I read this text, I'm taking Peter's word here. His readers indeed have been strengthened. They have been established by the gospel truth and the calling he's been writing about. See, Peter is reminding them because he wants his listeners to be strengthened all the more. Why? We've been around for a while in our series in First and Second Peter. His readers, yeah, they're suffering. They're weary. They're susceptible to false teaching. And he wants them to be even stronger. So he tells them what they already know to strengthen them further. See, the apostle Peter knew that this is what the Lord Jesus had called him to do. Referencing back Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Al read this last week. I want to read it again. This remarkable prayer of Jesus for Peter. We read these words. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he, may, that he might sift you like wheat. Now, I'm not sure. I've never sifted wheat. This doesn't sound very good, though, okay? <laughs> what I do know is you're sifting weak, wheat, you're shaking it violently. You're shaking it to get out the chaff, all the impurities. Satan wants to sift you. He wants to violently shake you so much that all your sins, Peter, are going to come out to the forefront, front and central. Ah, carry on. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, back to me, that you would what? Strengthen your brothers. Peter, I'm calling you. I know what's going to happen. I know you're going to stumble, but I am praying for you. And when you turn and come back to me, you are going to be used as an agent of God to strengthen your brothers. How? He's doing it right now in our letter to the churches. That word strengthens is the exact same word in the original language Greek. That's word used for the word established in our text. That you may establish, that you may strengthen your brothers and sisters. How? By way of reminder. Finishing well, not falling, not failing, that is, requires returning to the things we have already learned. Oh, Peter's faith. You know the story, don't you? Oh, it had wavered. He had denied Christ. Not once, but three times. He had gone back to the Sea of Galilee to resume fishing for bass. Oh, but he did not fail. God's grace drew him back to himself. God's grace turned him and God's grace strengthened him so that Peter could say in verse 13 of 2 Peter 1, I think it right as long as I'm in the body to stir you up by way of reminder. Not only does Peter know that it is good and right to strengthen their faith by reminding them of what is true, but also to stir them up to action. You see that word stir up? It could also be translated as wake up. So why the reminders? That we might be strengthened as believers. Number two, that we may be stirred up or we might be awoken up as well. And so Peter is working. He is teaching. He is reminding. He is stirring up because 
we so often can become complacent in our faith and knowledge, can't we? Yeah, know that. Somehow, as if you know it, you've done it and are applying it. Oh, there could be a gap, can't there? Not in God's, not in God's economy, not in the way he operates, but in ours, in our humanity. Yes, what we know and what we do can be two very different things. The reality is it's easier to sleep, isn't it, than to sweat. It's easier to, to, to deny than to do. And so Peter, in this text, a way of reminder, is sounding the alarm clock. Like the one I hear about 5.30 a.m. every morning. It's been a little later these last few weeks, summer months. It's an alarm clock that screams at me in the morning and tells me it's time to wake up and to work out. It's time to sweat. But that all begs the question, what exactly do you and I need to be reminded of? Back in verse 12, Peter says, we need to be reminded of these qualities. These qualities. What are those qualities? Well, we read it, verses 5 through 7. Add your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. But I think if we just focus on these qualities alone, at least if you're like me, you know what you're going to hear when you read that list? One more thing to do. One more thing to add to my faith. It's like an alarm clock that screams you every morning. Get up, you lazy. Work harder. Do more. Quicker. Faster. I don't believe that's what Peter was reminding his listeners to do. That is not apart from God's power and grace. His supplied power and grace. Verse 12 reads, I intend always to remind you literally of these things. Is how it really reads. These things are not just the qualities of our faith. Yes, they are the things we ought to do, how we ought to live but it includes the very gospel of grace that makes them ours. It's all the stuff that Peter was talking about in verses 3 through 11, which Al spoke on. I believe all these things that we're to be reminded of can be categorized a number of ways. Let me categorize them in two different ways. Number one, all these things that we're to be reminded of, number one is our gospel identity. Remember last week, Peter starts off with these startling words. His divine power has given us, has given us everything required for life, eternal life, and godliness through the knowledge of him, right? God has given you, has given me, as a believer, everything you need. Everything to do what he has called, everything that we need to do what he has called us to do. You see, you see verse 3, not just some things. No, he is giving us everything. He has given us. That word, go back a little, have a little grammar lesson here, is in the perfect tense. It's past tense that continues on into the future as well. He has given us all these things, and they're still yours today as well. God has already given you everything you need to live a self-controlled life now. Everything that you need for godliness, to be like him, to persevere in steadfastness, to love with a brotherly affection. 
He has given you a new heart. He has given you his spirit and he's given you his grace. Everything we need for life and godliness to be like him. Everything we need to think like him, to desire the things he desires, to speak in a God-honoring way and to behave in a like manner. I don't know about you, but I need to hear this. I need to hear it again. I've been given everything I need to do what God has called me to do. See, I need to hear that because when I wake up in the morning, I feel shortchanged. I mean, I look at my day going, that ain't going to happen. I can't do that. It's impossible, Lord. You're asking me to make bread. That's like one germ of weed and an empty jug of oil. You're saying make bread. Are you kidding? Lord, I feel shortchanged. I feel gypped. I need to hear, Corey, no. Everything has been given to you that you need for life and godliness. Oh, friends, praise God that he is not a tease. You know what I mean by that? He's not a tease. When he says, add to your faith, this is possible in Christ. Does it take sweat? Yes, it does. Does it take perseverance? Yes, it does. Does it mean sometimes falling and getting back up and then falling? Yes, it does. You see, so often we can define ourselves by our problems and our sins. I'm a depressed person as opposed to I'm a child of God who struggles with depression. I am a homosexual as opposed to a child of God who struggles with the same sex attraction. What we desperately need is God to define us rather than letting our repeated constitutional sins define us. We need to be reminded of and return to what we know, our gospel identity. I am a child of God. If I've placed my saving faith in Christ Jesus, his atoning work on the cross and his perfect righteousness, I am his. I am one. I'm just reading it. Who's been given? His divine power, verse 3. I am the one, listen to this, who can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Where do those evil desires reside? In our hearts. Really? I can escape this corruption in my heart? I can participate in your divine nature? I've been given the divine power and all that I need to follow you? Yes. Will it take work? Yes. Will I be perfect in this earth? No. But I can grow. I can be effective. I can be fruitful. All by God's grace. I hope you see this in God's word. This is not just a bunch of words. This is not a pep talk this morning. This is not just semantics. God believes it. He knows it. It's true. And he wants to create in you and me an expectancy of growth that fuels our efforts to actually grow and to live out our gospel calling. What is that gospel calling? It's stated in many ways, but in verses 5 through 7. Let me read it to you again. 
Make every effort, supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge is self-control and self-control is steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love, agape love, unconditional love. For this very reason, that he has supplied the divine power and grace, make every effort, work at it, sweat at it. Why? Because we have his power. We are partakers of the divine nature. In other words, this is our inheritance in Christ. Don't forget it. Keep coming back to it. To fail to do so is futile and it's foolish. Let me illustrate by way of Paul Tripp in his excellent book called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. This is Paul speaking. He'll refer to his wife, Luella, in this illustration. Imagine that I get a call one afternoon from a bank officer who informs me that I have inherited $50 million from a distant relative. I get off the phone quite excited to tell Luella, his wife, of our newfound fortune. I then run down to the bank, produce the requisite documents, and withdraw $10,000 to take Luella out to eat in Paris for the weekend of her life. Six weeks later, Luella, who does the finances in our family, is still struggling to stretch dimes into dollars. Confused, she says to me, Paul, I thought you said we were rich beyond anything we thought we would ever experience. Yet we are living as if we are poor, as we've ever been. Why aren't we living out of the inheritance you were given? Imagine me saying to Luella, do you know how hard it is to get down to the bank and draw out that money? First, the bank is in the center of the city. The traffic is unbelievable and the parking is worse. When you get to the bank, you have to stand in one of those long Disney World lines when you finally get to the counter. And when you finally get there, they treat you more like a criminal than a customer. It's too much of a hassle. Now, if you were Luella, wouldn't you be thinking, you're rich. How could anything keep you from the inheritance you've been given and the life it would give us? You need to keep going to that bank until you have received everything that is rightly yours. Friends, we need to keep coming back to that bank if we're going to live the Christian life that he has called us to. We need reminders. We need to see that deposit slip that says 50 million, 100 million, a trillion dollars, which is ours in Christ. We need to see it again and again. All that Christ is and his worth and all that has been given to us in him. We need to return to the gospel again and again. And that leads to the second and really our final point. Number two, these reminders that we need have been written down and preserved for us. How have these reminders been preserved for us? How? In God's word, the Bible. See, Peter knows that he will soon die. I don't know if it was because of 
a prophecy or his immediate circumstances. But he says in verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, my death, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I believe Peter is most plainly speaking about the letter in which he is writing, 2 Peter. He has written down this reminder under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so these very truths could be recalled again and again long after he has passed. Peter is giving us a written reminder to return to our gospel identity, but also our gospel calling, the things that we're called to do in Christ. And this is found in God's preserved word for us. I think about it. 2,000 years later, here we are. It's still here. Are we availing ourselves of Peter, the Bible's reminders, the prophecies, the promises? They're all here. 2,000 years, and they haven't gone anywhere. We still have them today. Peter's long gone from this earth, but we got him. Thank you, Lord. In his divine providence, he has cared for and preserved this word for us. You see, when we go to the word, we go to the word, the Bible, not just to learn new things about God, but to hear the old, ancient, eternal truths about God, what he has done for us, who he is, and what he has done for us in Christ. In other words, we need to hear the gospel story, don't we? We need to hear it over and over again. We need to hear what has been deposited into our account by God's grace. And thus, what is demanded of us by that same grace as well. Now, I realize that this may not be the answer that some of you want to hear this morning. I'm just being honest, right? I mean, what I'm telling you is, for most of you, it's not new. It's not, it's not flashy. Maybe you say, you know, I, I got it. I've heard that before. I've tried going to God's word, this rehearsing the gospel. But it, Corey, it, it doesn't work, or at least it doesn't stick. I mean, I got it here, but when I walk out those doors, man, it, it, it doesn't stick. It, it doesn't work. I, I want you to know, I'm not talking about quick fixes here, Okay. I just have a question. Have you really soaked yourself in God's word, in gospel truth? I'm going to ask you to answer out loud. Just be honest with yourself. I mean, do you occasionally nibble at God's word? Yeah, you come on Sunday, nice little snack. You may even nibble during the week a little bit. You know, if you got time, but usually you don't have time. And is that your diet? Or are you learning to make the Bible a part of your regular diet consistently, even day in and day out? Would you have a regular time that you have set apart to be in God's word, to renew your mind, to hear these ancient reminders that our soul so needs to hear and to feed upon? Last week, Al likened the Christian faith to repelling down a building or a mountain. The idea was this, that we are anchored to Christ and the rope that we hold on to is our faith in him. Well, my family and I, we had the opportunity about two weeks ago to do a little rock climbing on our vacation out in the Pacific Northwest. And it 
was amazing. I'm so tempted to show you photos. I'm not going to do that, okay? But I'd love to show it to you. But we learned a lot of things on this rock climbing adventure. But you know what really stuck in our brains? It wasn't just what we did and what we saw. It's what we were told to do and to remember. So if you're rappelling down a mountain, going down, descending upon a mountain, we were told to do these things by my uncle. Before descending, we're to shout these words to our safety partner, the belayer, as he or she's called, the one who is holding the rope. Rappelling! And it wasn't until we heard the words back from our safety, the belayer, rappel on, that we would then begin to descend. There was an exchange going on. We're up here. On belay. We're ready. Part down below. Belay on. Rappelling. Rappel on. There was an exchange happening. You see, back and forth, there was an assurance that was taking place before we actually began this dangerous rock climb. You see, because of the belayer, the one holding the rope, who was holding the tension in the rope, so that if we stumbled, we would not fall to our very death. Every time we go to the word and hear again of our gospel calling and our identity in Christ, we are getting a gospel ping from the voice of God. There's this exchange happening. You say, God, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to rappel down that building, that mountain. Woo, that looks scary. I'm a little intimidated. But Lord, you say to repel it, I'm going to repel it. But I'm not a Superman. I'm going to repel it, but I know you're on the belay. You're the one holding the ropes, and I'm anchored to you. So before I do it, I'm going to repel but I'm looking to God's word, <laughs> repelling, repelling. And I'm waiting to hear now. I'm waiting, man. I don't have great hear. I don't have great hearing, but I'm listening intently. And I'm waiting for the words. Corey, my son, repel on. I got you. I'm holding the rope. You're safe with me. I'm going to help you down. I need to hear that exchange. And if you are hearing that exchange, you're dangling. You're dangling from the mountain and you feel helpless. I can't do this, Lord. You feel all alone, but you're not alone. But you need to be reminded you're not alone. That's why time in God's word is so necessary. Each and every day, you need to hear that gospel exchange. I call it a gospel pain. You know what I mean? I need to be speaking out what God has told me to do. I need to hear back from him through his word that he's there. I mean, I know what I was taught that. But I want to hear it again. My soul needs it. And so does yours, I believe. You see, church, God never tells us to repel a building without letting us know he's there. Repel on! Never. He's there holding the rope. But more than that, he's actually empowering us to do by his grace and spirit that which he calls us to do. There may be some of you here, you haven't developed this gospel ping or exchange and you feel rather alone. Oh, you, you read scripture, you open it up. You no, know you hear? And you read verses five through seven. Repel. Do this. Bound that building. Yeah, bound or climb that mountain. And you say, impossible. Can't do it. Or you say, yeah, I can do that in my own strength. <laughs> but you know you can't. 
Because you keep falling again and again. Already tried. Oh, church, I hope the point is clear. I think it is, right? Only by consistent time in God's word and with his people rehearsing, reminding oneself of these truths of the one who holds the rope to which you are anchored will enable you to have the self-control that you need right now. They'll enable you to be steadfast in that circumstance or in that trial, in that suffering. That will give you the brotherly affection that you've been praying for and so desire, but may be lacking. We need to consistently hear the gospel ping. Are you hearing it regularly, consistently? And do you have a plan to get into the word of God, to remember, to rehearse the gospel? A plan which helps you get there and to hear God. If you don't, I would love to talk to you. There are community group leaders, maybe friends, would love to talk to you about their plan, their pathway into God's word to help you on a more consistent basis. Friends, we still have some beautiful mountains to climb here at Palm Vista to make disciples. Jesus Christ, we have some beautiful mountains to climb. Let us faithfully return to what we've been taught. So when the going gets tough, our faith will not fail, that we will finish well. And this is my prayer for you, church. It's a prayer that I pray for myself and for each and every one of us. If I can invite the worship team to come up, we're going to do something a little different this morning. We are going to sing one last concluding song. We're not quite done yet. I want to give you some application on the back end just to help you start or walk this out. So let us sing. Let us sing of what we've spoken about this morning, of our gospel identity in Christ. The gospel grace is available to us to live the life to which he has called us. Let us sing it. Let God work and animate our souls that we would believe it as we sing it. And then we'll come back and see how we put feet, how we can practice this in our daily lives. All right? Let us stand. Let us sing. Words of life. Yes, Lord, may it, do, may it be. Well, please have a seat. We're not quite done yet as we conclude our service this morning. Just a few more words to help us and to encourage us. If we can have the lights back on as well, that would be a great help. Thank you. When it comes to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't know, you, I often need to hear it in different ways, from different genres in the books of the Bible, from different authors, from different persons as well. And I think some of you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever given advice to someone? And then they come back to you maybe a week, month, a year later, 10 years later. And someone had told them the exact same thing that you've been telling them for years even. But they heard about it, saw it on, heard it on TV, read a, read a blog, and it clicked. And you just want to say, that's what I've been saying. But they heard it from someone else in a different way, and it clicked, and God used it. Sometimes God uses different perspectives, right? Different individuals as well. And oftentimes it takes, in our brains, a second, a third, a hundredth time until we get it. But isn't it true of our salvation? How many times did you have to hear the gospel? And how many, how many multiple individuals had to tell you it before you actually got it? And the Spirit worked and you received Christ. If that was true for your salvation, isn't it also true for our godliness? We need to hear the gospel again 
and again, and in different ways, different individuals and different authors as well. And maybe you're here and say, I, I, give me a place to start. And certainly we can talk about Bible plans. I'd love to help you with that. But in addition to that, I want to give you some resources that we've talked about it time to time here at Palm Vista, but I don't want to assume that you are aware of them. These are some of my go-to books. When I want to be brought back to Scripture and hone my understanding of the gospel, I want to mine it better. I want to understand how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, applies to my life. I often go to these resources. I want to put them up on the screen for you, and I'm going to leave them up there for a little while. And these are for you. You can order them online. And number one, a gospel primer for Christians and by Milton Vincent. It's a very small book, very accessible. And the first part, the first part of this book is why I need to rehearse the gospel. And it gives you reasons why. And it takes you back to Scripture. Why do I need to hear the gospel? When I say the gospel, what are we talking about? I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins, but what are all the implications of that? His righteousness is now mine. My sin was placed on his. He teases it out in the scripture. Very helpful, easy book. A second book that you may be aware of from another very accessible, clear writing author is Jerry Bridges. This is my old copy. It's going to look different, but the title is still the same, The Discipline of Grace. I like the byline subtitle, God's Role and Our Role in the Pursuit of Holiness. Okay, we talked about that some today. We have a role. What's God's role? What's our role? in this process, becoming more like him. Then lastly, it's a book I go to. I'm not sure it's in print anymore. You can get it still, though. It's just a fresh book for me. It's called The Great Work of the Gospel, How We Experience God's Grace. It's a book by John Enzer, the founder of Heartbeat of Miami and um, the many heartbeats around the nation and world today. I just, for me, he just, he says it in a fresh way. You know, you have those authors just say it in a little different way. I love the way he expresses it, brings me back to scripture and gospel truths. Maybe you know of books that you've benefited from that could help others. Would you share them as well, that together we could develop and deepen in our understanding of the gospel, who we are and what he's called us to do. All right, let us stand with that in mind. Let me give you this charge to you this morning from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But church, go now, go now and grow in the grace of, and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen? Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.